morning, everyone. Good morning. Hope you're doing well. <laughs> Hope you can hear me. If you please stand with us, <clears throat> sing along. Praise is rising. Eyes are turning to you. We turn to you. Worthy of all our praises, 
trust in our God. darkest 
rising like the light of dawn. Our God is for us, He has overcome. Oh, we trust in our God, and through His unfailing love, we will not be shaken, we will not be shaken, we will not be shaken. against him will fall for our God is stronger he can do all things no higher name we can call for Jesus is greater we can do all things all those against him will fall all those against him will fall for our God is stronger, He can do all things. No higher name, no higher name we can call. For Jesus is greater, we can do all things. For we trust in our God.
Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the beautiful day we're having, the crispness of the morning, and the, just the, the sight of all these people here to worship you. We just pray that our praise and thanksgiving will be sweet to you, O Lord. Lord, we ask that you let us be cheerful givers generous givers, givers of our heart, that the, the tithes and offerings that we offer are used in a great way to serve your kingdom. We ask that you be with us throughout the rest of the day and help us to be your people everywhere we go. In Christ's name I pray.
Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. Invite the children to come up here and have a seat with me. Well, good morning, boys and girls. How is everyone doing today? Good. I'm so excited that you are doing well. Well, you may have heard me say earlier that uh, at the end of our service today, we're going to take up a, a special offering. We're going to do it next week as well. And that offering is going to go to help pay for some of the damage that was done in Texas. If you've heard in the news uh, this week, uh, there, was a, there was a bad storm in Texas named Harvey. And it did a lot, lot, lot of damage. Uh, a lot of flooding, a lot of people lost their homes. And there's a lot of people who are hurting and struggling right now. And so we want to take up a collection to help, um, help meet some of those needs. And I want to share with you about a four-minute video this, this morning to help you kind of see what some of that offering money is going to go to. This was a special that was on the History Channel. Has anybody ever watched the History Channel? No? Okay. I knew the answer to that question before I asked. It was more, um, it was more for, for your parents' benefit. Um, this was a special that was on the History Channel. And this is just one example of what we as Southern Baptists are going to be able to do with some of the offering that is collected at our church and churches around the country in these next few weeks. And so if we can turn off those spotlights and if we can cue that video up, I want these guys to see something pretty cool uh, there on the screen. You can watch in either America one here. Today, food trucks are all the rage, luring big crowds to these restaurants on wheels. But the ingenious designs of these trucks are finding another, more critical use as well. And on a mega scale, 
Saturday, August 27, 2011. Hurricane Irene, a powerful storm over 600 miles wide, makes landfall over eastern North Carolina. After hovering over the region for 24 hours, the storm finally turns its way north, leaving devastation in its wake. More than one million people without power in North Carolina alone. Fortunately, there is a solution, at least to the hunger problem. One of the biggest food trucks ever built rolls in to serve meals to the storm's victims. A mega food truck, 40 feet long and eight and a half feet wide, weighing in at a whopping 24,000 pounds. This monster is a transformer on wheels, each side on poles to form deck areas, creating a kitchen space almost a thousand square feet in size. The back of the truck also folds out and transforms into a hydration deck with a three compartment sink. At full capacity, the truck can support 60 cooks and serve up to 30,000 meals a day. With the help of support trucks, the mega truck can feed for weeks on end. In preparation for today's crowds, supply trucks hold up to 70,000 pounds of food each, so heavy that one of them actually punched a hole in the pavement. As long as the food count is up, we'll be getting one of these about every other day. Today's meal count, at least 8,000 hungry people. That's almost 12,000 pounds of food. To carry out this gigantic meal, 30 volunteer cooks from a local Baptist group team up with the American Red Cross. The Red Cross brings all the food in, we do the cooking, and they do the serving off most of it. We put a heavy liner in the Cambros, and they feed right out of these Cambros. Is your power been out? You can just look this way and give me a big smile. At the heart of this effort is the truck, full of custom equipment, lots of it like two roll-in rack ovens and four convection ovens for meat. It holds 15 trays of 24 patties each. We open the door and roll the whole rack in. This oven over here is our uh, ovens that we slide the pans in. They hold the same amount, but we just slide them in. Total rack count? 54 racks at 24 patties a rack. That's 1,296 meals that can be cooked at one time. It takes 12 to 15 minutes for the patties to cook. So adding another 1,000 meals to the order is a piece of cake. Then there are the two 40-gallon and two 30-gallon capacity tilt skillets to cook items like beans, ravioli, grits, and eggs. The reason it's called a tilt skillet, it tilts over and has a spout on it. You can pour those right into the camera. It's basically like a giant version of your skillet at home. To open so many gallons of food, the cooks rely on two pneumatic can openers. Using suction, each can open up to 12 cans a minute. Still, there are six to eight people doing nothing but opening cans. No deep fryers on here. Healthy food. To power up all those ovens and skillets, the truck is loaded with four 200-gallon tanks of propane, enough to last through two days of cooking. 
and the whole operation is powered by a mega-sized generator, 45 kilowatts strong. That's enough energy to power up a small town. This kitchen is self-sufficient. We can pull this kitchen in if we have no water, no electricity, or anything. We can set it up and run. These mega food trucks can hold tremendous amounts of weight, up to 54,000 pounds, and are designed to withstand years of use. That's pretty cool. That's a trailer that's based in North Carolina that we as Southern Baptists help to, help to operate, and it is ready to roll anytime there's a bad thing that happens like what happened with Harvey in Texas. And that thing can roll into a disaster, to a flood, and it can, it can feed thousands and thousands of people just by rolling in and being ready to go. Isn't that amazing? Uh, so when we give to an offering like we're taking this, these next couple of weeks, uh, that's one of the things that we help to take care of is make sure that there is a truck full of food ready to feed hungry people who've lost, who've lost a lot of things in, in a flood, okay? Let's pray and thank God for, uh, for, for cool things like that and the opportunity to minister to people that way. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for uh, Southern Baptists who have a heart to, uh, to go into these disaster areas and feed people and, and love people and, and all the different ministries that take place as a result of a disaster relief. God, we pray as we, uh, as we give and as many, uh, as many will go in these next few weeks, uh, God, that we would do so with generosity and that we would, um, we would recognize how important a ministry this is for us as we, uh, as we help those in Texas who've been so, um, so affected. Uh, thank you for the opportunity. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you, guys. You go to church. Let's stand again as we continue singing. God, our Father, we adore thee. We, thy children, bless thy name. Chosen in the Christ before thee, we are holy without blame.
share God's word together this morning from the book of Ephesians, the fifth chapter, Ephesians chapter 5, will be in verses 1 and 2, Ephesians chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for Jesus who gave himself up for us that we might be saved, Lord. Now help us to, to truly understand what it means to be imitators of you. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. Um, we have got uh, some pretty exciting things that have happened in the last couple of weeks. Uh, we are uh, still broadcasting live. We've had some generous people uh, really step up and, and help to make that possible. They tell me that we're broadcasting in 1080p. I think that's good. Uh, I, I think that that means you can watch it on a big screen and, and it not be pixelated, which is, uh, which is really incredible, um, considering about a month ago you couldn't download a file bigger than about 100 megs without it bogging down. And so, uh, so we're, uh, we've really uh, seen some, some big improvements happen there. We have an app now. Uh, there's an app for that. So, uh, so Trips worked hard on some de on developing some things, and so there is an Android and uh, and iOS app that you can download and put on your phone or your tablet uh, that will actually tell you when we're broadcasting live. So our college students who uh, who go off to school, you've got a means to uh, to actually stay connected right there in the palm of your hand, and uh, and it's working this morning. So uh, so there uh, there's some folks watching at home. I don't know who they are, uh, but uh, we're glad that they're watching. Maybe they're not at home. Maybe they're uh, somewhere uh, other than home. Uh, but they're watching live right now. Uh, so we're excited about that. Uh, you, you can see the link. I posted the link online. And uh, if you want to go to your app store, Google Play, you can just search NBC Noonan, and you will find that app, and you can put it on your phone. I would ask that you wait until, we, until you leave because you'll kill our 1080p if everyone starts putting an app on your phone. You've already done it, haven't you? I see guilty faces. I see that. Um, so, uh, and, um, and I, I want to share with you just a, a little word from our, uh, from our North American Mission Board. Uh, they are, that's who the, our offering is going to be going to. I shared the, the food truck video with the kids. I think that's just cool that, uh, that every meal the Red Cross feeds Baptists cook. Uh, so, so just know that, that when the, the, these disasters happen and there are, there are meals to be fed, we've got the means to go in and cook these things. And so, so I think that, that's, 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 suit, that's fitting for us. I mean, it's Baptist. We like to eat, and we only like to eat because we know how to cook. And so when a disaster rolls into town, uh, it is Baptists who know how to go in and cook and help serve people. That's not the only ministry that Disaster Relief offers. We have cleanup recovery teams that are staged and ready to go in as soon as first responders and authorities give us the go-ahead. We've got shower trailers that can roll into these flood-out zones that don't have running water and can help people have be clean. We've got chaplain units that go in and help minister to people's spiritual needs in these situations. We've got all kinds of different, uh, we've got child care units that roll into where FEMA is set up trying to help people get processed. And we've got child care trailers where, where parents who are trying to deal with insurance and government can leave their children in the care of skilled and trained um, 
child care workers so that they don't have to have their kids in line at FEMA because I'm sure that a FEMA line is, is miserable enough as it is without a three-year-old tugging on your arm telling you how, how happy they are to be standing in line there. So we've got all kinds of different units, and this is a word from, our, from one of the vice presidents from North American Mission Board, and all the money we collect in the next two weeks we're going to be sending to, uh, to Sin Relief, which is, the, uh, which is the relief arm of the North American Mission Board. So let's cue that video. Hello, my name is David Melber, and I'm the vice president of Sin Relief at the North American Mission Board. And as you know, we are in a historic response to Hurricane Harvey and the flooding that is just covering Texas and even moving across Louisiana. And you can be proud, as Southern Baptists, we were moving materials and people and positioning our resources even before the storm hit. And right now, we're poised and ready to go in, and we need your help. One, you can be praying for the people that are impacted there. We want you to participate in this by being positioned and ready to go. This is going to be a long-term response. It's going to take years, and we want to mobilize as many throughout our Southern Baptist family as possible. We ask for your patience. We ask for your willingness to go, and we look forward to seeing you serve as we try to minister to the needs of the countless thousands and even millions that have been impacted by this flooding and this storm. There is a training coming up if you are interested in volunteering with disaster relief. Uh, it's it's sometimes hard to do if you're if you're if you're employed if you're not retired or if you're uh, if you if you got a, a nine to five kind of job without a lot of flexibility. Sometimes it's hard to meet those uh, those deployment guidelines because disasters don't really pay attention to your um, your work schedule. Uh, but if you are um, you're not employed outside the home or if you're retired, I can't think of a greater ministry to be involved in where you've got the flexibility to get up and go when the call comes. Uh, you do have to be trained, and so there is a training coming up. If you're interested in that, please talk to me. I'll be glad to point you in the right direction to uh, be able to participate in that. We've had some folks in our church who've been deployed before. Who's, who's actually been able to go on a disaster relief call? I know Lucretia Ingram has been. The Edsons have been. Dennis has been able to go. So if you're interested.
Instead, it is telling, he is telling us that this is something that we must do. Be imitators of God. Well, the first thing that we need to consider here is the very first word of the sentence. And it is a very important word. Because the first word of the sentence gives us some idea of the context of the biblical text when we are studying it. Now, understand this. So we, we need to talk about this on a regular basis because we live in a world that doesn't like the idea of context. But context is something that we must grapple with. When we talk about context, we're talking about the, the stuff that exists around something. And so if we were to talk about the context of our church, you might, you might say, well, we exist on Highway 29 in North Coweta County. That's sort of what our context is. You might define this as, as suburban, maybe a little more rural. You might talk about the subdivisions that are around. You might talk about the demographics of the community. That's what we mean when we talk about context. But we're talking about Scripture. What we're saying about context is where does a word or a phrase or a verse fall into the the big picture. What's its immediate kind of neighborhood? Where does it fit into the, the bigger picture? Where does a phrase fall into a paragraph? Or sometimes where does a word fall into a sentence? It's important that we understand all these different pieces so that we can really get to the true meaning of what the text says. For example, did you know that what I'm about to put on the screen is, I really do believe, probably the most memorized Bible verse today. Now, some of you may say, well, that's got to be John 3.16, right? Everybody memorizes John 3.16. Everybody knows John 3.16. Maybe um, th that's going to be it because we live in a post-Christian world. That's probably going to be the extent of it. But actually, I don't think that that's the most memorized passage of Scripture anymore. Um, I think that this is the most memorized verse today. Matthew chapter 7, verse 1. What is it? Do not judge. How many have heard that phrase before? Do not judge. That is the, the post-Christian mantra of the world in which we live. Do not judge. And so if you make a statement about someone's lifestyle and, and you make a judgment about their moral behavior or whether they should have done something or shouldn't have done something, if they feel that you're meddling in their business, they will quote to you the most memorized passage of Scripture in the Bible today, Matthew chapter 7, verse 1. Don't judge. Don't judge me. Well, if we take it right there, we certainly can get the idea that, okay, maybe I shouldn't make judgments about what's going on here. Today, though, if you make any moral judgment about anything or anybody, this passage is what is regurgitated. But the problem is, is that the immediate context of this passage is not telling us that we should never make moral judgments about things or about decisions that people make. Instead, Jesus here is outlining for us the proper means of judging. Matthew chapter 7 verse 1 tells us how we should judge. And that's to judge without hypocrisy. That's to get the, 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 the plank out of your own eye before you help your brother get the speck out of his eye. The immediate context of Matthew chapter 7 actually is warning us against the hypocritical style that was characteristic of the Pharisees. Can I just say that a church that is hostile to the notion of making moral judgments is downright scary? A church that is afraid to make moral judgments, that's a scary thought. Because who's going to make moral judgments if it's not the church? I mean, God's given us the book that we need to know what's right and what's wrong. We have to appropriately apply, apply that text to the world in which we live. We have to be able to make moral judgments. But as we continue to look at context, 
We also need to see how a verse fits into its chapter, its book, as well as what we know about the whole counsel of Scripture. For instance, in our conversation about Matthew chapter 7, verse 1, when we look at the broader context, for instance, in Matthew chapter 14, we see John the Baptist getting his head removed from his shoulders. Why? Because he makes a moral judgment against Herod. He goes to Herod and says, your marital behavior is unbecoming of a king. And as a result, the king removes his head from his shoulders. Again, what did Jesus say about John the Baptist? There's not any man born of woman greater than John. Yet John is, is executed for what? For making moral judgment. Now, that's not saying, well, I don't want to be executed, so I'm not going to make moral judgment. John's actually praised for this. Uh, this, this idea of John being martyred is, a, is, is it's, it's celebrated. When we look at the whole canon of Scripture, we see dozens of commands about judging false teachers, dealing with different kinds and different types of immorality. So clearly context matters. We can't just say do not judge because there is a sense in which we're required to as Jesus followers. But sometimes we even get closer down. We even get keywords that let us know that we need to consider uh, what, what's important here in order to understand what need, what's being communicated here. So, so what do we mean here? Well, in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1, we begin with, with a word. And it's in almost all of our versions, all the translations, it begins with a, with a very simple word. What is it? Therefore. Therefore. What does the word therefore mean? Well, you can translate the word therefore in this phrase as a consequence of. As a consequence of. These are important words. Words like therefore or immediately. These are important little words, though. They tell us that what we are studying is clearly affected by, by what lies around it. And Paul begins chapter 5 with this phrase, therefore. And so verse 1 might read this way. As a consequence of what you've just heard, be imitators of God. As a consequence of what you've just learned, be imitators of God. So we need to remember what we've been studying in chapter 4. In chapter 4, we have this long list of what we would consider to be right ethical behavior for Jesus' followers. We talked about honesty and anger management and proper speech. These are all characteristics that are indicative of who Jesus' followers are. When you think of Jesus' followers, you think of someone who's honest. You think of someone who, who speaks the truth. You think of someone who, whose language isn't as salty as the rest of the world. You think about people who are, who, who, who are honest in their, in their endeavors. You think about people who control their anger, are anger, angry at appropriate times, and, and keep short lists. Those are right behaviors that we think of when we think of Jesus' followers. And these are all areas that we struggle in from time to time. But the truth is, is that if we are imitating God, if we are imitating God, I love the picture of the mirror of the little pawn that uh, sees the reflection of the king. I love, the, I love that image that's there. But if we are truly imitating God, guess what? You don't struggle with anger management. You don't struggle with those things because you are imitating God. God's character that we can imitate, we are imitating. And those things are things that we don't struggle with if we are truly imitating God. Of course, that's an area where we frequently come up short. But look what Paul immediately says at the end of chapter 4. He says, be kind to one another, be tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. And then if you look right after his command to imitate God, what's it say? Walk in love 
as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. You see, Paul has actually made kind of a theological sandwich for us to consider. He, he, he's kind of let us know by how he structured this what it looks like to imitate God. He tells us that we have been forgiven, and he tells us how that forgiveness was secured. And then the other side of the sandwich are the consequences of this forgiveness and, and, and what this should look like. So we have been forgiven, and here are the consequences of this forgiveness. What should this look like? Well, we should be imitators of God. We should be imitators of God. In an 18th century biography of Marcus Aurelius, biographer Jeremy Collier said this. He said, you should consider that imitation is the most acceptable part of worship and that the gods had much rather mankind should resemble than flatter them. Now, I would change that gods to, to just singular and Christianize this statement, but when you do that, it really makes sense. God would much rather us look like him than simply flatter him. He would much rather our hearts be inclined towards him rather than just speak flattering words from our lips. So we know why we should imitate God, because we've been forgiven, and, and we have the consequences of this forgiveness. Well, the question is, what does it look like for us to imitate God? What does that look like? Well, we've, ro we've ruled out walking on water, as exciting as that may be. And if you do have that anger issue, then pouring out wrath is something that I'm glad we have taken off of the table for you. So you're not allowed to do those things anymore. But again, context helps us to understand the specifics of the application here. Paul tells us that we are to walk in love. Imitating God means that we walk in love. Charles Spurgeon, in, in dealing with this text, said some things that I wanted to draw in this morning. He says this, he says, There can be no question as to the eminently practical characteristic of this exhortation. Be imitators of God as dear, dear children, for it points to action, continued action of the best kind. Be you imitators, that is. He says, do not only meditate upon God and think that you've done enough, but go on to copy what you study. Meditation is a happy, holy, profitable engagement, and it will instruct you, strengthen you, comfort you, and inspire your heart and make your soul steadfast. But you may not stop at meditation. You must go on to imitation of the character of God. Let your spiritual life not only bud and blossom in devote thought, but let it bring forth fruit in holy action. Be not satisfied with feeding the soul by meditation, but rise up from the banquet and use the strength which you have gained. And I love what he says here. Sitting at the feet of Jesus must be succeeded by following in the footsteps of Jesus. You see, when we understand that we are to imitate God. This means that, that we understand that God is love, that his chief characteristic is that of love. And if we are to be imitators of God, then love should be the chief characteristic that defines our relationships with each other. And Paul has told us what that looks like, kindness and tenderheartedness and compassion. These are things that should characterize and be markers of the life of the Christian as we strive to imitate God. And so if we look around and we see that our heart is filled with hate, then we have a problem in our heart in that we are not showing the imitation of God's character. And when our heart is filled with hate, 
towards a world outside, we have to understand that that is not an imitation of the character of God. The scriptures are clear that God so loved the world that he sent his one and only son. And so if there are people and persons today that you, you feel a hatred towards, well, that's not the imitation of God's character. Now, there may be people that you don't trust, certainly. There may be people that, that you really wish their behaviors were different, understandable. There may be people whose lifestyles are absolutely abhorrent to you. Sure, they're abhorrent to God as well. But what does God want from those folks? Condemnation? No. God wants folks like that in the kingdom. But he's got a special way to get them there, and it's through Jesus. And the only way they find that is if we as the church, the stewards of the gospel, the Lord Jesus Christ, are being actively, actively taking the good news of Jesus to those ears that need to hear it. We can sit at the footsteps of Jesus, which is what we do when we're in our discipleship classes and we listen to sermons and we listen to podcasts and Bible studies and we have a quiet time. That's all good and profitable. But it's more than just sitting at the feet of Jesus. We need to actually be walking in the footsteps of Jesus. Imitating God means that we walk in love towards our neighbors. Interesting, too, Paul uses a, a phrase here. He says, be imitators of God. What should that look like? He says here is beloved or dearly loved children. You see, Paul here admonishes us. He instructs us as children. You see, another thing here is imitating God means copying our master. Think for a moment how we teach children to write. I've never taught a child to write, but I have seen enough handwriting homework that have come through my doors and I, you remember the, the, big, the big wide space paper that's on the kind of the, the gummy tear-off thing at the top, the writing tablet? And, and, and I remember so many times, I even remember as a child myself, copying letters onto that wide space, almost recycled feeling paper is what it always reminded me of. I remember copying letters, copying letters. And I've seen my own children copying letters. And... and Interesting, when I took some foreign languages, the process was duplicated. When I took Hebrew, I had to learn to copy Hebrew letters. When I took Greek, I had to learn to copy Greek letters. Why does that matter? You know, why can't I just do it my own way? Well, I'm sure that my Hebrew professor or your child's kindergarten teacher would appreciate you not coming up with your own alphabet and how to write it. In order for communication to happen, there has to be consistency in how those letters are crafted. There has to be consistency in how those letters are crafted. You know, when we teach children to write, we do not encourage them to go out and figure out their own letters and be creative and original in their penmanship, although I do know that there are some who are elementary, who are elementary school teachers, perhaps even older school teachers, who look at some of the stuff that's turned in and you wonder, where did this child learn how to write his letters because their penmanship is miserable? We instruct children to copy with as much precision as their tiny hands can muster each and every letter, dozens if not hundreds of times. Why do we do that? Because the goal would be after teaching a child to write, the child can communicate in the written form in a way that anyone who picks up his handiwork can read it and understand it. In this case, when we talk about imitating God, it means that we must strive to copy our master. 
thankfully, he's given us a model to look at. Without the person of Jesus, perhaps copying God would be something that's challenging, something that's difficult. But thankfully, God saw that and sent Jesus to walk in the flesh, to live in our world, to, to walk literally in our sandals. And so if you want to know what life should look like, well, look and see how Jesus was. Look and see what Jesus did. Look and see what Jesus said. Look at the people Jesus interacted with and how he interacted with those people. And there's a good model for us. If we are to be imitators of God, then we can look at the person of Jesus and model and copy his character. Now, we come up short, but we have a working model of which to look we're like a child trying to learn to copy that difficult letter and not quite having it right but we still have the model that we can see and the challenge to copy it Spurgeon has some thoughts beneficial for us as well he says how could a man become an artist if he did not attach himself to some school of painting and sit under a certain master he may be of the French school or the Italian school, but he must begin as a follower. Even if he grows up to be a leader, when he's been well-trained and has done much work, he may actually outgrow his master and become an original, but he must begin as a careful copyist. Here, you are invited to become imitators of God, but the master is such, one, is such a master that you will never be able to learn all that he can teach. And so strike out on your own better path. He says, though you are immortal, yet throughout eternity, you will never advance beyond your model. For it is written, be imitators of God. There's a question this morning. Who's your example? Who's your example? Who, who are you copying? Maybe there's some, some great and godly men and women in your life. Paul said, follow me as I follow Jesus. Maybe there have been some great and godly examples in your life of people who have, who have helped you walk the straight and arrow. Can I tell you a secret? As much as they may be godly men and women, wonderful mentors, every godly man or every godly woman who knows that they're a mentor will look at the folks who are following them and they will say the same thing. Sometimes I come up short. Sometimes I fail. Sometimes I will lead you astray. Sometimes I, I don't hit the mark. I, I may be light years ahead of you in, in, in faith and walking, but I am still a human and I still come up short. And while you can copy that mentor and imitate that mentor, only copy and imitate that mentor as far as they are copying, imitating the Lord. Some of you have been blessed with great and godly mentors. I had a, I had a great and godly mentor who passed away not too long ago privilege to to copy somebody like that but they all come up short and Paul says here be imitators of God copy him and while you strive you'll never ever ever grow past him you'll never ever ever be let down and you'll never ever ever grow past him so who's your example today? Is there a great and godly mentor in your life? That's fantastic. That's wonderful. But don't put all your faith and trust in a human being. Because human beings all share one thing in common. The capacity and propensity for failure. But there is a perfect model. His name is Jesus. And he calls out to you today and says, follow me. Be my disciple. 
Be my follower. Be my child. Who's your example? If you were able to lay your life on a table today, if you were to examine all the parts and pieces that make you, well, who would we see? Would we see a person striving to follow Jesus? Or somebody striving to follow somebody else? Striving to follow anything but Jesus? The invitation for you today is to follow Christ. To be imitators of God through the Lord Jesus Christ. Who laid down his life for our redemption. Would you pray with me please? Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the call to imitate the one who is not imitatable. Thank you, God, that we can never grow beyond who you are. We can never learn more than you know. Our holiness and righteousness can never, ever exceed perfection as we see in Christ. Thank you, Lord, for giving us a model in Jesus to be an imitator. Thank you for Jesus who spoke truth, who who had the the incredible capacity to, to know people's hearts, to know people's thoughts, to speak truth to people, but who loved those that we deemed unlovable. May we follow in his footsteps. And God, if there's any here today under the sound of my voice, God, who are not followers of Jesus, they've not given their life to him, they've not accepted the gift of salvation, they've not accepted in by faith his death, burial, and resurrection, that it is sufficient for them to, to have their sins taken care of. God, I pray that today that they would hear the word and they would have a desire to follow Christ and be obedient to him. Lord, help us to be imitators of you as we seek to live lives that are honoring and pleasing to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We're going to stand and have a time of invitation. If you'd like to pray, please do. If you'd like to... Uh, um, Give your life to Jesus. Today is a perfect day to do that. Let's stand together and sing, and you respond as the Lord would lead. Simply trusting every day, trusting through a stormy way, even when my faith is small, trusting Jesus, that is all. good to worship Jesus today. Amen. Uh, no services tonight. Nothing going on here tonight. Next Sunday night, we have ordination for, uh, for two, of our, two of our new deacons who will be ordained next Sunday night. We also are going to have baptism during that service as well. We're not baptizing a deacon. Uh, that's already been taken care of, but, uh, but one, of our, one of our deacons, one of our new deacons, uh, his, his little girl just recently uh, gave her life to Jesus and uh, said, can, can we baptize you during your daddy's ordination service? And it uh, seemed like a great place to do that. So we're going to have baptism next Sunday night as well. Do read your bulletin, pay attention to all the announcements that are contained therein. If I got a couple of ushers who can grab an offering plate and, and be at the back door, anything that goes in this offering plate, uh, even if it's cash or not, not designated, anything in this offering plate is going to Harvey Relief and will go to the North American Mission Board to help with our efforts there. Uh, so so you, can, you can feel free to give, be part of that. Uh, make checks out to Northside, yeah, and, uh, and you can put disaster relief in the, in the four line, that's fine. 
uh, and we'll do this next week as well. We have a lot of college students who are back this weekend. We want to welcome you. Uh, you've got means to stream live at your campus now, so uh, so share with your friends there, and uh, and uh, we're glad to be able to offer that to you as well. And, and Trip, thanks for. Uh, I want to thank you for all the hard work you've put in to kind of get this stuff up and running. I mean, it is, it's, it's fantastic, and we appreciate your hard work in that, uh, and um, hopefully God is going to use that and bless that. And you're also the deacon of the week who's going to come up and dismiss us in prayer as well. So go ahead and pray for us, sir. Let us pray. Dear Lord, we just thank you for the perfect example that you are, that you know, we are sinners and fall short, but we have something to strive towards. We have you that has shown us how to be, and we ask that we imitate you in the best way we can through all things that we do, that we that praise and honor be to God and God alone. In Jesus' name, amen.